right, here we are, episode 31. No, I can't believe, actually, it, I was slightly in shock, I think, last week that we had, th- it was our 30th episode. I was a little bit quiet because it was sinking in, like, 30 episodes, how did we get to that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think over that time, you've watched more films than me, because I think you seem to be able to sneak in more on top of the two films than often I do. So how many films you've actually watched in this? Oh, I don't know. It is, is definitely more than that. I, I mean, I obviously catch the, some of the cheesy ones that you can find on Netflix and Amazon Prime sometimes and I've also got Sky Cinema so there'll be the odd one I'll pick up on there but yeah some some of the films that the kids want to watch as well I'm thinking of watching Harry Potter 3 this afternoon so uh, something to enjoy with the kids especially on the back of having visited the Harry Potter studio as well uh, Watford Way which was very good over half term time I haven't watched anything this week though I've been full on more than nine to five uh, <laughs> working so that's why I put it out on our Facebook page the nine to five picture because I think you've been working really hard and I've been working really hard as well i didn't even have lunch on sundays which is really bad that you just sat in front of your screen because i'm working at home and like looking at my my how many steps i've done i'm like under a thousand it's just like oh that's really bad i find that i can sit and work quite easily and get so engrossed in what i'm doing Mm -hmm. that it gets to i don't know let's say five six o'clock and I have a little break and I suddenly realise that I haven't had lunch. Mm. I can easily do it. And yet I yeah. know people who will kind of keel over and die or their head will explode if they don't have their lunch. But I can just forget about it. Yeah, it depends what meetings I've got. I mean, if I've got back-to-back meetings and sometimes I can't fit it in, I'll just keep going and then have my lunch like eventually about three o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. So quite a late lunch. And in fact, it won't be even a full proper lunch because I know I'm going to have my dinner soon. So I'll just grab something snacky, which is then even worse because you're eating rubbish food. I've got to break that routine. If you don't have a lunch, you end up having a kind of a double dinner or a, or a snack yeah, plus dinner. Yeah, or you're not as hungry when it comes to tea time. <laughs> yeah, or, exactly, or you think, crikey, I really need to eat, and then you eat, and then it gets to nine o'clock, and you think, oh, mm. I'm hungry again. <laughs> but yeah, it's been one, it has been one of those weeks for me, and so yeah, apologies that the podcast has been going out later than normal, but I'm sure everyone no, can no, understand no. during these times. I did get to watch the Netflix drama that you had seen the week before it was the trial of the Chicago oh yeah eight isn't it that's good yeah yeah it was good I really enjoyed it really good cast I think that was the main thing I enjoyed about it watching um Eddie Redmayne and um Sasha Baron Cohen putting on American accents I thought they were both pretty convincing <laughs> in their roles it was one of those kind of courtroom dramas you know when you say courtroom drama you, you immediately think of something quite intense and serious and although of course the subject matter was obviously serious it was actually quite kind of dramatic and in some areas quite light-hearted even though obviously it was a story about the riots and all of these different challenging groups including the Black Panthers but yeah no I, I as I say I think it's a bit like you I didn't think it was incredible but still fantastic that these kind of films with that kind of cast are cropping up on Netflix just you know with regularity now yeah I should just also mention that Mark Rylance was in it because he was probably I'm oh yeah he's fantastic everything he's in he's brilliant isn't he 
Yeah, he was in. The, remember the last time I watched him, he was in the BFG, I think. That's right. That's right. Yeah, played the BFG. I, I loved the BFG. Absolutely adored it. I think mainly because of him, actually, and his performance. Even though yeah. it's obviously not him, but I mean, in terms of the character, I thought it's fantastic film. Yeah, and then what I binge watched actually, I had a day. I did have a day off last week. I have to be honest, and I binged watched a TV series called the The Queen's Gambit which is on Amazon Prime. And it's actually got Thomas Brody Sangst, who you may have seen in Game of Thrones. He was also the little boy in Love Actually. He's all grown up now and he's in his 30s. And he was in that as well. So, yeah, you're starting to get more actors in these TV series. But that Queen's Gambit is fantastic. And, and IMDb, it's scoring 8.8 out of 10. So it's it's pretty highly That is high for IMDb. Well. It's all about chess and uh, from this girl going to an orphanage and learning uh, chess from the caretaker and then seeing her becoming a professional chess player. It's slightly different different angle to what most films you've seen before. But I think, it, yeah, it was really good, really really good and um I, I just completely binge watched it well it is as you said earlier it is one of those days outside today and indeed this weekend where it's just gonna be raining mm. const- constantly and so yeah i'm already starting to think what kind of family films i can watch to keep a seven nine-year-old and 11 year old <laughs> boy happy which is is always a bit taxing yeah but if you don't mind, can we go with Big as our first uh, review? Okay. Uh, actually, is this something you may consider showing your children? Because I think it's a 12A, isn't it? So, it's you know, you can show your children, but, you know, there's some slightly adult content in it. It's a film that certainly is not appropriate for my two daughters, who are seven and nine, absolutely no uh. doubt. And I've been debating whether it's okay for my son, who's 11-year-old, and uh. well, yes, there's the odd scene. But when I was watching Big right from the start, I, I just got more and more into it. And I thought, oh, this is just would just be the coolest film to watch with Noah. I mean, the main character is 13. So when he gets to that age, obviously, it'd be perfect. But yeah. I just thought it was great. So can we start with, start with Big? Big? Yeah, I, I feel like I've got so much to say about it. I'm quite excited. I'm, I'm really intrigued to, to know what you're going to say. And as I said before, you before as I said to you before, I, I definitely hadn't seen it all the uh. way through. I definitely hadn't. I don't, had only seen certain scenes, so a lot of it felt brand new. That's good, good. So, a new film for Rob there, uh, released in 1988, directed by Penny Marshall, and writers include Gary Ross and Anne Spielberg, who is sister to Steven Spielberg. I didn't know there was others in the family that were writing and directing as well. I guess I watched this when I was about 14, 15 for the first time on VHS. Yeah, we're talking old school here. And I, I did watch it also a little bit after it was released as well. I wasn't 14 and 15 in 1988. No, no, no. <laughs> it's about Josh Baskin, a 12-year-old boy uh, who's into his computer games, walkie-talkies, messing around with his mate, Billy, and as you do at that age. And he's becoming attracted to girls, and in particular this girl that's slightly older than him. And uh, he wants to try and get her attention. And, in, and to impress her at a fairground one, one night, he wants to go on this ride, and unfortunately, he's turned away because he's not tall enough and he looks all embarrassed and walks, got sort of sulks away and then sees this in the distance, this Zoltar machine, which is where you can make wishes. And he goes up to it, sees it and knocks it around a bit because it's not working and it comes to life. 
he does the trick of where the coin goes into the Zoltar's mouth and he gets to make the wish, which is, I want to be, he wants to be big, basically. He then receives a card and it says your wishes will be granted. And then he discovers that actually the machine is unplugged. Da, da, da. So next morning, uh, he wakes up as a 30-year-old man, comes down the stairs, his mother thinks he's been kidnapped, and he rushes out the house. Um, he convinces his close friend, 12-year-old Billy, that it is him, it's Josh Baskin, and they set off to go to New York City because they feel there's a lot of police around and they want to go and find out where this Zoltar machine could be found again so he can reverse what's happened. And also to get some money to, to live in New York and so he needs to find himself a job. So what happens is he ends up landing himself in a toy manufacturing company and he initially starts right from the bottom but the head of this company sees him in this toy store and having great fun playing messing around and it's not with anyone he's on his own just messing around shooting people with his laser gun and also then he plays with this uh, probably the most famous scene with the piano on the floor and he and he's playing chopsticks and other other music and his manager joins in he later then discovers obviously he'd be great at designing toys and that he gets to test and design toys as his job and he's in his element getting paid loads everybody's wondering why he's progressing so well in the company and there's also Susan who wants to really get get his ideas and feed from him but then she actually they fall for each other which sounds a bit wrong because we know he's a 12 year old boy and 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 I have to say with the actors are in this we've got Tom Hanks who's the older Josh Baskin we've got Elizabeth Perkins who's the, the love interest Susan we've got John Hurd David Mosco plays the young Josh and he's still doing many acting roles today as well. And we've got Jared Rushton who plays Billy and he's excellent. Billy is excellent in this film and the relationship between the two Hanks and and Rushton is really lovely in in this film I've got a lot of personal things where I relate to this quite a lot actually this film because when I was 14 15 when I watched this for the first time I didn't really know what to do later in my life I knew I quite liked doing art and design and that kind of thing and and when I saw this I thought oh my goodness I want to be a toy designer and and because I was quite immature as well you know like to have a bit of fun and this kind of inspired me to go on and do design products at university and then go on to do graphic design and then marketing so this film has influenced where I am and inspired me to where I am today believe it or not coming from a comedy fantasy film so I've got a lot of connection with this film and I and I love Tom Hanks he's always one of my favorite actors but Rob I'd love to get your thoughts because I know it's your first time you've watched it and it is, I would say it's probably a little bit of a guilty pleasures film. But I'd, yeah, I'd just love to get your thoughts. Oh, well, then I'm definitely guilty of finding a lot of pleasure <laughs> in it. That's for sure. I just thought it was, I think you used the word charming or heartwarming. I think yeah. um, last yeah. week, I think that's absolutely right. You know, everything about this film just feels sweet and yeah. 
there's nothing kind of horrible in it. I mean, there is one character in it, which is Susan's boyfriend. He's the guy in the toy company who's trying to make a name for himself. And he sees Josh coming to the company as a threat. And he's very work-driven. And he's the only character that is not really kind of quite likable in it. And even then, it's not like, it's pantomime. He's not He's not really someone that is a kind don't of... You, don't you think he acts more of a child than, yeah. than Baskin? And, that, and I think that's exactly it. As well as this just being a really lovely film with it, with its heart on its sleeve, I think it's the way in which a simple idea can play with so many interesting thoughts and concepts. Because, yeah, so a guy makes a wish with this Zoltan machine, he wakes up and he's a grown man, but inside he's 13. You could argue we've seen that kind of thing played out many times since in films, but I suppose that this was the first time it was done when this film came out. And I just thought it was fascinating because you've got so many interesting ideas that are basically talked about in some ways in the film. So first of all, the very fact that you've got Josh who wants to be big. We, we're led to believe that one of the reasons he wants to be big is so he can date this beautiful girl at school that he's got no chance with. He tries to queue up to get onto a ride at the fair that she's queuing up for as well but he can't even go on the machine because he's not tall enough. So, you know, there's, there's these kind of elements where he feels like he's humiliated in his advances for this girl. So I think that in itself is quite interesting because it plays with that idea with, does it really matter? Do, do you really... Do you really need to be big? It's just all in your head. He then, when he becomes an adult, yes, you get those really amusing scenes of him waking up and looking in the mirror and he's someone else. Suddenly, he's, you know, it's a, it's a young Tom Hanks, which is fantastic yeah. to see a young I Tom Hanks. I love the way he looks down in his pants as well. <laughs> exactly. So there's all those, gr- there's all those great moments where uh, there's you know, really comedic things where he realises yeah. and, he, and he has to just get out of the house because it's the morning and his mum's calling him down for breakfast. He just has to yeah. figure out how to get out the house gets to go and see his, his best mate who he believes is the only one who's going to believe him and then when he you know clearly they make the decision that the best thing they could do is is, 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 like, yeah. is go to the city i mean he does go back home to try and convince his mum it's him and obviously she thinks it's an intruder crikey she even wields a knife at one point and yet i thought i thought it was a way to see the fact that okay, right we need to get out of here you never ever really kind of like follow any part of the storyline where effectively his mum and dad think their child has gone missing and yeah that it's almost like that whole story it's it's not needed for this i thought when he comes to the city and basically they they get enough money for him to rent a, a hotel but this hotel's a horrible hotel mm-hmm. and, you know you can hear like screaming of other tenants and there's like prostitutes outside and there's gunfire and stuff right out on the street and by this point you've seen you've seen him as a grown-up now for probably maybe 20 minutes you're starting to get used to seeing him as a grown-up but of course he's not I love the way that he's just his gait and the way he walks all the time is like a child and you're reminded quite often in the way he talks that yes he is still a child and when his best mate leaves him in the hotel I thought it was really really um quite quite impactful when he actually starts to cry. He doesn't want to be left in this hotel room. Why would you? He's 13 Uh years old. He never would have been to the city on his own. Yeah. Is he 12 or 13? Is he 12? I thought he was... No, I think he's 13 because he says at the end that he's 13. But Uh I mean, you know, there's gunfire outside and like, you know, he genuinely starts crying. And I think that's the moment for me where you think, okay, it's actually going to tackle some quite, I wouldn't say serious things, but it's going to, it's going to hammer home a few things that we probably don't think about 
when we get older. And I think that's the whole point of it because he then finds himself working at Macmillan Toys. He somehow manages to get through this interview because his his naivety and how he comes across at the interview as a child really seems to strike a chord with the boss there. It's computers, isn't it, as well? Yeah, exactly. And, and the compete, I mean, the computer games in it remind me of the stuff I was playing on when I was at school that's and right. When I was probably about nine or ten. One of the very early scenes in the film is is him in his room playing that computer game. It, it reminded yeah. me when I, you know, when my dad managed to get hold of like a BBC Micro from work and um, yeah. play one of those <laughs> one of those type of games. So yeah, there's definitely lots of nostalgia in it as well. But yeah, I, I just thought it was really fascinating. He he he's given the job because of his playful nature. So first of all, here's an adult who gets a job because his child qualities, which are laid bare, even though he looks like an adult, are what win him a job. So that's the first thing I thought was quite interesting because you, inevitably, just like children are, everything they feel is what they project. And as you get older, of course, you lose your inner child. It's kind of inevitable. It just happens. Some people are better at keeping it than others. But the virtues of being able to, you know, if you like, be more playful and be more like a child at times when it's going to benefit you. I think that's the theme that I thought ran through this. We have him ending up in a relationship with Susan. And again, she's drawn to him because of his playful nature. She doesn't know he's a child. But, you know, it's exciting. It's, he's different. It's unique. Yeah, yeah. And you see how she goes from almost like this really you know she's a she's kind of driven by her work the way she dresses the way she talks the way she interacts with her other peers if you like at work it's almost like she's a kind of a loner in that way she's very single-minded and by the time she's been in that relationship with Josh she's a completely different person and I actually think that her transformation as a result of him and as a result of him allowing her to kind of find herself find her inner child what makes her fun what makes her tick what makes her excited I just thought was really, really interesting. And I thought it was heartbreaking, truly heartbreaking, that, well, the moments where he, Josh, takes a while for Josh to, to be able to admit to her that he's a child because she, he slowly falls for her. And, of course, you know, it is a bit strange, as you say. There are those moments where, you know, I mean, he sleeps with her at one point and comes into work the next day. In actual fact, that's when he starts to try to be more like a grown-up himself, you know, he goes through this phase of being the child in the, uh, in a man's body. She's attracted to that. They get together. He, in a weird way, for, for most of the film, I think, likes her around often. You see him look into her eyes occasionally, and it was really weird because she was looking into his eyes as someone she genuinely, like, fancied and, and, and loved, liked and loved as a, as a boyfriend and I felt that he sometimes was looking at her almost like as someone who reminded him of her, of his mother Ooh, and okay and that's I what didn't he, see that yeah but well, there was those, there were those moments I think when she comes back and there was a moment where she comes back and she's in the bottom bunk and, mm. he, and he's kind of playing around there was, there was a moment yeah. when they were just staring at each other and it was quite a poignant moment he didn't really say anything and that's when I felt he's thinking he's thinking something completely different to her and interestingly I thought it was often those moments where what you then saw followed was him phoning his mum. I thought there was a beautiful scene where, you know, he phones his mum, pretends he's the person who is, if you like, I don't know, holding Josh or knows where Josh yeah. is to try and put her yeah. mind at rest, but she can't obviously convince him 
convince her over the phone that it's him because it's impossible. His voice is different and he accepts that, but he's calling his mum. you know, he wants to hear her voice and he's also thinking of her best that he, she knows that Josh is okay. And there's that moment where he walks outside of his apartment block, gets on the phone and calls her and, and asks, calls her and asks her what she would do if she had a upset stomach. Um, and she says, oh, I would take whatever it is. I'd take paracetamol four times a day. It's quite a kind of almost strange scene, but it was just really kind of interesting. You kind of thought, oh, this poor boy, he's asking that because he probably doesn't know what to do. And he's just had a day where he's stuffed himself with food and he probably is feeling that, but he, he's got no mum to ask these things. So he's finding ways in which he could connect with his mum, even though he couldn't, you know, he couldn't be there. He couldn't tell her. And yeah, I, I almost thought the relationship between Josh and the boss Macmillan was so sweet. You could have easily had a boss running this company who was like a tyrant and he wasn't. He was actually the person who really recognized the good things that Josh had. And I thought he was almost, he was almost like a, came across as a bit of a father figure to Josh. Um, I thought by the end of the film, every character was probably better for Josh having been in their lives. And yeah, I thought, thought it was interesting. Eventually, Josh does decide, right, you know, I now actually want to embrace adulthood. I'm not going to wear, you know, normal clothes. I'm going to come in in a suit. I'm going to start acting more like a grown-up. And that's the point, really, that his best mate, you know, who comes to visit him now and again, makes him realise that, what you know, what's happening. You, you know, you're 13. You, why are you suddenly wearing these grown-up suits? Why are you suddenly not accepting my calls? Why are you getting obsessed with marketing strategies? Um, and of course, that's the point he realises he can't go on. Um, I just thought it was a really, really interesting tale of the value of youth and the value of innocence and the playfulness of childhood that basically people lose as they get older. And whilst it was a really fun, funny, comedic, touching story of basically a, yeah, a child in a grown man's body, I thought that was the best bit about it. It really, really did make you think. Um, and that last scene when he walks off in the suit, when Susan accepts that she's got to let him go. It's a very strange thing, isn't it? She's in love, she's in love with a guy, knowing that he even, she, it's almost like she's still in love with him, even though she knows now that he's a boy and she has to drive off heartbroken and he has to return to his normal life, you know, having probably learnt the lesson that being big <laughs> isn't the answer. It's not, all, it's, it's not all what it's cracked up to be. But I, I mean, <laughs> I probably haven't got too much more to say. I, 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 I really, really liked it. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of favourite scenes. We mentioned the we mentioned the piano, the keyboard before, and I loved the scene where they've got a corporate party as well, and he walks in in, in this white uh, suit, and everybody else is in this sort of black tuxedo, etc. As well, and they do, he just stands out, and just his whole dress sense is completely different to everybody else's. Uh, very much more extrovert. Considering he's a, a small child, that's quite unusual. You'd think it would be him be more introverted, really, but he's he was definitely extrovert. But I love the way he sort of woofed down some food and, and then the baby sweet corn. <laughs> Once he's told he eat 
eats it like a eats it like a corn on the cob and this tight like, no 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 <laughs> it was it was really funny to watch and then obviously when he leaves the party with them um, with Susan uh, they, they he's in the limo for the first time and and I I think I would probably be a bit, a bit like him as well sort of exploring what's wow what does this button do and and what does that do and then oh look it's got a, it's got a it's got a window and and then he shoots up and both of them are standing in the car as as the limo's driving around and the wind's blowing through their hair etc there's just just some a lot of sentiment as i said it's it's inspired me to do what i do today and and um it's always been up there as one of my favorite films anyway yeah i think you've made a couple of interesting points actually as a grown-up some of his characteristics you're absolutely right are quite out there and quite extrovert and the, the little time you know him when he's young, you wouldn't necessarily that say that that mm, would be mm. his characteristics. That is a really interesting point. I did think that a couple of times. And uh, the other scene I really liked is when Josh eventually tells Susan that he's a boy. Susan can can tell there's something not quite right every now and mm. again, but but you know nothing comes of it. She's so used to being burnt by guys, and uh, I just thought it was really funny where when he basically has to tell her that he's a child. The way she sees that is like, oh, here we go. Another guy who's saying like, they're not ready to, Uh, you know, they're they're not old enough. And that's how she, that's how she initially reacts. But I just thought that's absolutely classic. It's like, no, that's not what he's saying. He really is a child. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Hanks, this wasn't his first big break, really. He'd, he'd, He'd done Splash, he'd done Bachelor Party. And the man with the red shoe and money pit before this, so he was he was pretty much on his his path to being quite a good mainstream actor, I would say at that point. And he's done many really strong. Um, he's I think he's got what two was it three Oscars? He's been nominated probably about three or four times anyway. But I know he's got definitely got two. This is a very young job, Tom Hanks, and he you know he, he's great in this film. Elizabeth Perkins also. This was her big big break film i would say and she has she's done quite a lot of tv and and some smaller films but her biggest ones probably are the flintstones and another of my favorites is a miracle on 34th street i love to watch this at christmas time so she did that a couple of years on and this film cost 18 million i was quite surprised how much it cost to make actually 18 million and it got 151 million dollars worldwide gross so it did pretty well in the box office as well considering you know this is 1988 it's, that's a pretty good amount to, to be taken in at that stage and I and I've mentioned already David Moscow who was the young Josh I didn't think he would continue to do anything else but apparently he's, he, he's been doing stuff since then and he's still acting today and he's done a lot of TV was, I mean he started in Kate and Alley and was a kid actor in Kate and Alley and then was picked up and, and started doing movies he's been in Legally Blonde and Just Married uh, so some of you know comedies and I think Penny Marshall she's done quite a bit as well she's, she's directed A League of Their Own and and she's directed Awakenings and Jumping Jack Flash. So she's done some, some great movies as well as this one as well. So um, go on then, Rob, what are you going to give it? I think, as you well know, a lot of the films that I really like are films that do have a certain sentimentality about them, which yeah. deal with kind of human things. I think that's one of the reasons I was so drawn to Lion, because as well as it being yeah. so beautifully done and well acted, it was the sentiment behind it all. And it was the same with this so I mean, I I really can't believe I'm saying that, but I was I'm going to give it ten because wow, it, really? Yeah, I know. It, it, I think this for me sums up, you know, I suppose cinema is the ability to 
connect with you. Sometimes you watch a film and there's a certain theme or there's a certain, uh, there are certain ideas or conversations, if you like, it's, ha- it's, it's actually having underneath the surface. And sometimes films just have that ability to completely, completely resonate with you. Mm. And I think when it's that strong, you know, you, I suppose for me, just kind of embrace it. I mean, a lot of people say, what well, big, you know, like 10 out of 10. But I, it's, it's, it's now... Right, it's now one of my favourite films, and, and I'm so so pleased to have watched it. And I, you know, I, whilst I was watching it, I thought I want to watch this again, and that hasn't happened for a long, long yeah. time. Um, I have watched this film a lot from when I was a teenager to today, so it's got a lot of sentiment, and it, it's a very sweet movie. I'm really torn now because you've given it ten. I wasn't going to give it as much as that. The reason being, there are better made films, I would say. But, ooh, what should I give it? I'm going to stick with my gut. I'm going to give it eight and a half, which is a good score, just simply because the acting, Tom Hanks is acting in this as an as a adult, but really actually at heart is a 12-year-old boy or 13-year-old boy. He played it so, so well. And, and that's what I love about Tom Hanks. He's just, whatever's thrown at him, he, he does it excellently. And I just love it. Yeah, so eight and a half for me. I can't wow. believe you're going to turn that. I know. I mean, I love that. I love that. I just, you know, like you say, it's, you're, de- you're absolutely right. That, you know, it's yeah. not. There are. Other, it's not like necessarily the best made film and lots yeah. of other things. But it just got me. It just got yeah. me. And rather yeah. than kind of, rather than kind of say, oh, but, you know, because of the other things, I'm going to mark it down. I thought, you know what? No, because I don't often watch a film and come away thinking, oh, that was just brilliant. And so that's why I thought, you know what? Yeah, no, it's very much a yeah, it's a lovely film. Great. So, um, really pleased with that. And and on to Alien, another good film. Go on. Oh uh, wow! I've got yeah. a surprise for you. I've got a surprise for you. But go on. <laughs> well, this is a film that was on my list. Um, I'm a massive, massive fan of uh, Ridley Scott. Alien. I don't know. It's one of those films that you can watch now, and there's still so much about it, which is still, I think, unique and groundbreaking when it comes to kind of science fiction. 1979, this was released, directed, as I say, by Ridley Scott, screenplay by Dan O'Bannon, story by Dan O'Bannon and Russell uh, Shusset. So we begin on board the Nostromo, which is this commercial towing vehicle returning to Earth with millions of tons of mineral ore. Its crew awoken from hypersleep when the computer mother detects a distress signal from this inhospitable moon. So we have seven of the crew who wake. We've got Captain Dallas, played by Tom Skerritt. We've got Warrant Officer Ripley, played by Scorny Weaver, Executive Officer Kane, John Hurt, Chief Engineer Parker, and and um, engineer technician Harry Dean Stanton, navigator Lambert, Veronica Cartwright, and science officer Ash, played by Ian Holm. So after a few arguments about whether they should investigate this distress signal, it kind of becomes clear that they've kind of got no choice. It's in their contracts. So they reluctantly kind of hone in on this planet, take a smaller ship down to the surface. It's dark, it's windy, you know, low visibility, doesn't look good you know what kind of film this is, so you know everything is going to be probably a little bit ominous. This expedition team that leave the ship, which is Dallas, Kane and Parker, they come across this huge, like, um, derelict spacecraft in the shape of almost like this horseshoe, which in itself is quite kind of jaw-dropping to see, quite unique. I mean, so much of this film is unique for its time. It really was Mm. Mm. as something else. Inside this, they find the remains of this enormous fossilised alien creature 
sat in a chair, well, quite human-like, actually, and they discover that its ribs have been kind of bent forward as if there's been some kind of rupture or something. And whilst they're walking around and some of the kind of corridors and tunnelways in this uh, ship are kind of lined with bones, it looks like. And whilst they're down there, Ripley on the ship discovers with more analysis that the distress signal is actually a warning. So we're, we're now we're then thinking, oh, crikey, that, well, obviously, it's probably not good that they're there. Dark, there are strange things everywhere. And then Kane is lowered into this massive giant chamber where the surface is kind of covered in mist. And beneath there are these like kind of leathery objects that resemble these large eggs. And he looks in one of them and they kind of got this translucent coating and he can see that there's this kind of organism in there. You know, something's alive, it's organic. And then the top peels open as he peers inside this this kind of snake-like crustacean with legs flings out and latches onto his helmet. And, and it really is quite a moment. Next thing you know, the crew bring him back to the ship. They don't know whether he's dead or not. But of course, he's got a foreign organism on his body. And so Ripley, who effectively is in charge at this moment um, on the ship, she recognizes this and basically says, no, he, he can't be brought in because he could cause an infection. He's got to be quarantined. Me- meanwhile, of course, they're all shouting, let him in. Otherwise, he's going to die. She's not having any of it. But just as you think he's going to have to stay outside, Ash, the science officer, he just opens the uh, the hatch or the door, as it were, and they come in. So effectively, he dis- disobeys an order to, in order to let him in. And then in the infirmary, we have Kane lying there. We now see more of this creature. It's like a spider-like creature with this long tail wrapped around its neck with these eight finger-like legs and, and this, this weird tail. Face hugger, isn't it? It is, exactly. It's the face hugger. They try and prize it off and it just strengthens its grip around the neck. They make an incision in its leg, and this kind of acid blood spews out and burns through the floor. So they, they run down to different floors, and eventually uh, so they obviously begin to realise this creature's got a pretty incredible defence mechanism. And they return to their posts. Ash, uh, sorry, Ripley confronts Ash about letting the crew in, disobeying orders. And so you immediately get this tension that Ripley doesn't trust Ash at all. And then when they are called back into the infirmary, they find that the face hug has gone and they're looking around, can't find it. And then this kind of shredded skin falls down. You're given the sense that they think everything's okay. Kane comes back too. You know, whilst they're in the, the mess room eating, Kane suddenly, you know, amidst laughter, suddenly feels something in his stomach. He gets his chest palpitations, which get worse and worse, and we realise something's in the side of his chest. And yes, it's the famous, there's a very famous scene where, let's just say, the small alien makes itself known. And it comes out and looks up. It's quite amusing, really. Like it's kind of observing its surroundings and kind of scurries away. And so that basically begins this whole cat and mouse hunt for the creature, which rapidly grows into this 10-foot xenomorph, it's called, with these huge elongated head, this kind of these outer layers of jaws, which reveal these horrible teeth. Um, And the crew split up to try and track this creature down. Whilst this happens, Ripley hacks into the 
the computer and actually discovers that Ash has been given this classified special order, this is the science officer, that any creature on board shouldn't be killed, should be brought back to Earth, and the crew, most importantly, <laughs> are expendable. So Ripley now realises, okay, this whole thing is not what they thought it was. Ash is on a mission of his own to bring this creature back to Earth unharmed, whilst the creature itself is basically intent on killing all the crew. So that's kind of it. The reason I like it so much is because, well, first of all, the set design is phenomenal. The ship in itself is like a character in itself. The, the opening of this film, I think it's incredible. The film opens with the distress signal that the ship picks up and the ship kind of slowly almost comes to life. The light cut, the lights come on because all of the crew are in hypersleep. And just this, you, know, you get the camera, which is just basically gliding through the different parts of the ship. I, I just thought that was fantastic. I know, yeah. I, I think I know what you're going to say because yeah. I thought, I may have thought the same thing. It's the door. The door opens before the lights come on. And I'm like going, well, who set that off? Does the, why has the door just opened? I totally there's agree. There's nobody else on the ship. And at first I thought, is that the alien? <laughs> well, no, you're absolutely right. Because when I, it's the first time I saw it where I thought, yeah, hang on. How's the door open? There's no, yeah. there's no yeah. human on board and because it's a POV yeah. shot of the yeah. camera you're, you're, of course you're led to believe it's, it's just the camera like showing different yeah. parts of the shit I thought exactly the same thing I thought like it's, it's just shown us around I think they're just showing us around as a well maybe maybe it's, just, it's yeah, exactly maybe yeah. we're just not supposed to probably dwell on that um, I thought it was similar <laughs> it's a similar thing I felt like with Jaws is that you know you don't see the creature in its full glory for about an hour into the film mm. is that tension which works really well. The chest buster scene is bonkers. I mean, yeah, like, you I know, it's, it's incredible. It's genuine, even now, it's genuinely jaw-dropping and horrifying. And I just thought it was really good. I thought the dialogue and the script was spot on. You know, nothing was kind of over the top. Nothing, no. I mean, you think of the yep. second Aliens film as a totally yeah. different film, but yeah. just very, very classy and well, well executed. Yeah. And you know what? what? I've never watched it before. I thought oh, I'd watched it. I've n I thought I had watched it, but I think it's I've just seen that scene quite a few times when it's been on TV. I was really surprised that I hadn't watched it. And I think even when I reviewed Aliens, I said, Oh, I prefer this film to the other one. I hadn't even watched it. I can't believe <laughs> I said that. <laughs> so I think it's because I've seen John the one the scene with where the alien comes out of Kane's or played by John Hurt's chest. But also I'd seen the one where the face hugger lands on, on Kane's helmet right in the early stages of the film as well, before he even gets to that stage. Those two scenes I remember. And then it makes so much more sense now because obviously Covenant and the Prometheus films with, the, you know, the alien ship that they explore at the beginning, that's where that comes from. So yeah. it's just like, what have I been doing? Have I, I've been... Uh, I, I did find that I didn't understand those two films as much, I have to be honest. But now it makes more sense, definitely, because those are the, the films that come before, supposed to come before yeah. Alien. Yeah. So it's much more eerie, isn't it? It's, it's less yeah. scripted, I would say, as well. And you've got that suspense of silence and the music is, is really good. It's done by Jerry Goldsmith. And um, the music sort of gets you gets you going really when you know you know there's going to be an alien around 
or maybe a cat around <laughs> uh, when when the music starts piping up. But um, you wouldn't get much noise in space anyway. So no, it's well, as like, they as they say in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah. It's like the tagline yeah, for like, it, isn't it? And I never forget when the film Gravity won Academy Award for Best Sound, and they never understood why they they actually won that because actually there's no sound in space. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I never forget that bit. Anyway, it is more eerie and is less computer special effects. Obviously, in those days, this is like 1979. So they actually had somebody playing the alien. So his name was Balaji. Balaji, yeah, Nigerian-born, yeah. and um, he'd only done a couple of films. I read that he died when he was 39 in 1992. So it's shocking. But when I watched this film, there's Ian Holm, there's also John Hurt that's in this as well, and they've passed away since as well. You know, I didn't realise that the alien guy had passed away also. But yeah, and you can see that it's a person on occasions as well. And obviously the head and the effects they do with mouth and everything is, is really cool. And it, but you can see it looks like a man dressed up on, on some occasions. But what I find crazy is that if you knew there was an alien in your ship, would you go around looking for a cat that hides in all sorts of nooks and crannies? And this is like a quite a big ship. Would you go and try and find the cat to make sure the cat was okay? I'm sorry, but I think the cat can find its own way back and I'm sure it can hide. A bit like Newt did in, in Aliens. So I, I found that a bit strange that they kept looking for this cat and then obviously they come across an alien. Yeah, but maybe it's just because even even back in 79, everyone just knows that everyone loves cats. Just, just put a cat in there. <laughs> and the cat stays through most of the other films as well. Yeah, exactly. If, they, if, we need to, if we're losing any of the audience, oh, let's just put a cat in there. Oh, cutie little cat. I think in Aliens, I always thought that Newt was like the cat in Alien. Like it's maybe. a... Maybe. Anyway, yeah. I'll let, anyway. And, and, I mean, obviously Ridley Scott directed this film and James Cameron directed Aliens, so they are different directors. Aliens being far more jar-heady versus what we see, which is much more suspense. Um, and I think potentially better acting in, the, in this film. So I actually, I reversed what I said last time. I actually preferred watching this film, this Alien film, because it's got that drama and thriller and horror, horror more, there's more impact on that side than Aliens. However, Aliens is a great film as well. And I would say then it starts to go downhill with Alien 3 and Resurrection and et cetera, et cetera. And then they got, you know, spin-offs with uh, Predator and et cetera as well. But, um, I mean, Ridley Scott, you've said before, I think he's one of your favourite directors. And I think looking at his catalogue of films that he's done as a director, I mean, he's done The Martian, which we reviewed. He's done Thelma and Louise. He's done Gladiator, that we reviewed as well. The thing with him, and I'm sure this is maybe what you're going to say before we start the podcast, we kind of talked about this. Sarah and I are kind Mm. of very visually minded and we're both talking about how we don't really read books. The reason I love Ridley Scott, the way he builds these worlds, just like Gladiator, Mm. And the way he builds this world on the ship, it's so utterly convincing. Yeah. Um, and just so yeah. well done. And there are some elements of the of the props that they've got that actually could exist today. Um, they were sitting in one of the cock, a cockpit area, lights all flashing. All right, they had slightly older looking monitors, but I could see that existing today. So, you know, he's thinking, as I mentioned already, 1979, we're now in 2020, and there's some stuff that you could see today or in the future that could be still created. You know, it's quite mind-blowing that he can project his thoughts into that far ahead in the future. Um, Sigourney Weaver, 
I mean, this is one of her, this is her big break. But I find that she started her career quite late. I mean, she did a Woody Allen film in 1977 and she would have been 28 at the time. She was 30 when she did when this film was released. And I was really surprised. She looks very young. She looks like early 20s, actually, to be honest. But I was surprised that she was 30 and uh, she's gone on to do some fantastic films, you know, Grillers in the Mist, Ghostbusters, Aliens 3 she did as well, Copycats, Resurrection, where she was involved. So she's stuck with the, the series a little bit. And then she's also done Wally, Chappie. No Oscars. Why no Oscars? She's a great, great actress. And we were discussing a couple of weeks ago that we could see her you know, back in the day doing Mad Max potentially as uh, Charlize Theron's role, if that was made back in the day. And um, yeah, she got nominated for Working Girl, Aliens and the Gorillas in the Mist, but no Oscars. And she was fantastic in Gorillas in the Mist. I'd really like to watch that again. And it is on my list. So hopefully well, we'll pick it out someday. I think it's primarily because it took a long time for Hollywood to take science fiction films seriously. If a film like Alien came out today, you know, and it, and it was of this kind of standard, relatively, it, it yeah. would definitely be up there with the best picture nomination, at least. Whereas I think that's purely what it was. It, it was kind of like, mm. a, well, it was a sci-fi horror as well. And even then, it, those probably are, you know, two categories that don't normally, never traditionally fit, done well at the Oscars. But you're absolutely right. One, I was amazed this wasn't even nominated. Best picture, of course it won. It did win Oscars for... Um, it won Best Visual Effects. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, well, won a couple of BAFTAs for production and design and soundtrack. And which, absolutely well. right. Well, so so it should. But it, like mm. you say, how Sigourney Weaver's not recognised and how the film just in itself as a film is not recognised, I think it's mm. just a sign for the times because everyone now recognises just, I mean, Ripley is an iconic character. And people, like you say, you watch Alien today, it's not like it's like, oh my God, this is so obvious, it's 1979. Oh my God, it's, yes, the creature, a bit like Jaws, to a degree yes the creature at times especially towards the latter ends you can tell it's a kind of a guy in a suit scott never wanted that he tried to do it with animatronics but it just simply wasn't possible there wasn't the technology around so he had no choice but to bring this guy on mm. i thought it was also interesting to hear that ridley scott in terms of the cast and the role of ripley it was either going to be sigourney weaver or meryl streep it was between those two. Oh, i can't imagine meryl streep doing this role to be honest. well no maybe but maybe not but back then at that age a, mm. a much younger mm. and the only reason Streep didn't come into it is because apparently at the time she was uh, mourning the death of her partner at the time John Gazelle uh, um, okay. so it was always going to but I just thought it was interesting just as a, you know, the idea that crikey Meryl Streep could potentially have been Ripley and yeah I also thought it was quite interesting that the whole idea of this, you know, because this is a film that didn't come from a book, when they were trying to conceive how to bring this idea to life, they were trying to work out how the alien would get on the ship. Mm. And they basically wanted to go with this idea that the alien impregnates someone. So hence the whole reproduction via this implantation idea was what they went for. Mm. But because of that, they wanted to avoid the whole cliche of a woman being the one it, you know, it latches onto because they just thought that's going to be way too crass and far too symbolic of rape. And mm. also they wanted to make the male viewers feel really uncomfortable and so that's why they chose that it would be a male that it latched onto and I think I think well I don't know as a male viewer that certainly did the job for me <laughs> I thought it was terrifying <laughs> the idea of this the, the face hugger had this like inserted this tube like thing into the into its throat oh it's horrible 
I mean, even yeah. now, even now, it's horrible. And on that scene, it, it, it was, yeah, it was horrifying to see this thing come out of his, his chest or his stomach. And to be honest, what, when it was the most shocking is when the alien hadn't quite come out yet. It basically split his body open as a bit of puff of blood. And it went over, I think, over some of them. Then the alien came out. I think the first little puff was like, oh, what is that? And then the alien comes out and says, like, oh, right, OK. But then I laughed when it scuttled away across the, uh, the kitchen table. Yes, <laughs> it was, like, it was that's quite funny. I thought, that was funny. It was almost like Gremlins. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It's almost it went from the most extreme, yeah. almost horror. Yeah. Just yeah. like that, you had this yeah. creature, like, kind of appear looking around. It's almost like a periscope of a submarine. And then yeah. instead, suddenly it just kind of, like, scuttles off. But, of course, you don't see, they don't show mm. the bottom of it to kind of create that effect. I think if they hadn't shown the alien scuttling away I think it would have been like oh my goodness where's it you know they didn't need to show that that bit I don't think I think they should have omitted that because it just it cheapened it I think and yeah maybe uh, maybe maybe you're right uh, I think or maybe the special if they had you know more computer graphic special effects better quality ones that they could have made that a bit more sinister and yeah the bit before I mean it's, it's, it's quite well known that the actors didn't know that they were going to be launched with blood um, and guts. And the guts were actually guts from animals. Oh, nice. They, no they, used, they, went, oh! they used this quite a lot. They used it even with creating the, um, the alien. that They used intestines and actual real internal body parts of animals to, because they thought that was the way to actually make it look most realistic. But as a result, the cast weren't expecting that. They weren't expecting the blood and they'd never seen the creature either. So oh, right. when, that, when that happens, all of the reactions are genuine. And there is, if you watch it, the, the actor who plays Lambert, Veronica Cartwright, she, she lets out a scream. Yeah, and yeah. it's so obvious that that scream is, is genuine because it's just the mm. nature of it. You know, Ridley Scott did what did not want them to know that was going to happen. Yeah, I can imagine though John Hurt going in. He knew probably knew what was going to happen. Oh yeah, but him going in there. Oh, this this will be a great yeah. trick on the, on the others. Let this me. Will be right. This will be right. This will be right. Well, wait till they <laughs> yeah. get a load of this. Yeah, wait, a practical joker. Yeah. Anyway, um, the the film did very well, equally as well as big. In, in the box office, it was only 11 million to make. I was really surprised by that. Considering Big was 18 million, but that is 10 years later, I'm really surprised that all those extra little detail and effects only cost 11 million to make and then got 108 million worldwide gross. So pretty similar to Big, actually. So similar success. Yeah, I, I just think it's incredible that you can watch a film made in 1979. I mean, can you imagine going to the cinema and watching, can you imagine uh, what an impact this must have made? Well, seeing it today, even on, on at the cinema, would be impressive. Yeah, I, you're I, right. I mean, I think it's it, it's it's really good, and and I know Cameron ups the the technology. Let's just say for Aliens, and that's seven years later that's done, and it only that costs an extra seven million to add on top of of, of general production. But I'm I'm going to give this film. I gave eight for Aliens out of 10 and I'm going to give this I think I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 I really enjoyed it uh, and I couldn't believe I've not watched it before and there's a lot of suspense and this just started off a whole load of other alien movies and uh, was very original so 9 out of 10 for me 
I'm going to give it nine and a half purely because I'm a, I just absolutely love Ridley Scott. I just love the way this film looks. The script and dialogue is understated. As I say, yeah, the, the, in the only reason it's not a 10 is because of the, at times, the creature not looking as menacing as it does in other parts of the film. But it's a, I always find it's a bit like Jules. I do find maybe, I, I, there's part of me thinks, is, is that a bit harsh? Because, of course, this is 1979, but a film's still got to draw you and, and keep you drawn in. And it's just, yeah, sadly, that's the only kind of bit where it fell down. But that was only in a few scenes at the end. But crikey, if you haven't seen Alien, watch it. it, it yeah. I mean, it, it's because it's a seminal film in sci-fi, horror specifically. And like you say, Ripley, what an incredible performance by Sigourney Weaver. And yeah, there's so much more to say on this. Millions of documentaries are making of. So there's so much. I, I think I was saying to you, I've never seen so much trivia on a film on IMDb as mm. this one. So we could go on and on and on talking about this but yes I'm going to give it nine and a half I can't believe it nine and a half and a ten this week for me I know that's great yeah that's really good right okay so next film next film (laughs) two films for this week go on then you go first animation okay animation I've got seven I will go for your sixth one please it's a nightmare before Christmas. Okay. Um, Tim Burton's animation. I mean, I saw this quite a long time ago. It I'm might not sure I've to... seen it actually. Have you not? It I've might seen well... snippets of it, but not not all the way through. Probably not a bad time of year to be watching this. It's a Christmas movie. We're warming up to Christmas. Some people have even got their their Christmas trees and lights out already just because we're in lockdown to cheer them up. I know. It's it's all coming early. So Nightmare Before Christmas, this was made in 1993. Jack Skellington, king of Halloween Town, discovers Christmas Town, but his attempts to bring Christmas to his home causes confusion. And it's streaming on Disney+. Plus. You can rent or buy from Apple TV. Amazon Prime, YouTube, and uh, Rakuten TV and Sky, of course, as well. Okay, so I have drawn comedy. Comedy, right? I don't think you've had hardly any of my comedies. So let's have a look. I have forty comedies. Forty? Wow. Okay, I'm going to go with number thirty. No idea why. Number thirty is Gross Point Blank. With John Cusack, Mini Driver, and Dan Aykroyd in 1997. Well, do you know what? I've never seen it. I've, uh, heard, I've heard of it. Awesome to watch something that I don't know nothing about. So, gross point blank. Martin Blank is a professional assassin. He's sent on a mission to a small Detroit suburb, gross point, and by coincidence, his 10 year high school reunion party is taking place there at the same time. Ha! Huh. That sounds quite a cool premise. Yeah, so it is to rent and buy on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, YouTube, and also Sky Store and Rakuten TV, the usual ones. They're not like big films, these these ones this week. I knew, a Nightmare Before Elm, uh, before Elm Street. Before Nightmare, there you go. <laughs> don't, you, don't, watch, don't, don't watch that one. That's not a Christmas film <laughs> for the family. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's what I really hope is not going to come up. But I bet it's on, bet it's on yeah. your list. Sorry, Sarah. You're going to have to watch Nightmare Before Elm Street. Freddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Freddy Krueger. No, but A Nightmare Before Christmas, I think, is more well-known. Many people may not know Gross Point Black. 
And there's um, many drivers in this. You don't see I me. Mean, she's not. No, I mean, I this, know. This, this, is she, her, this is her purple patch, I think. Well, it is because it's this, this came out the same year that Good Will Hunting came out. Uh, yeah. there's, now there's a movie that I'm sure is on, on our mm. list somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really, really still, you know, I only saw Big last night. So I'm still on a bit of a high. I'm still on a bit of a big high. Oh. Um, so I may well wait until the girls have gone to bed tonight and maybe put that on for me and Noah. But if not, we'll all watch Nightmare Before Christmas. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, great week of great films. And I think they've scored very highly to this week. And I'm really delighted that you love Big. It's, I've got a lot of sentiment and connection with that film. Uh, yeah, so, I know. So that oh, was mate, really lovely. Interesting. Maybe that, it's so, so cool when you watch a film that you haven't seen and it has that impact. There's always a bit like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, no, I'm dead chuffed. Cool. Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to this week's films. Absolutely. So, thank you very much, Rob. Thank you, listeners. Yes. Thanks for joining us again. It's so, so rainy outside, Sarah. It's, uh, yeah, definitely, it's a film definitely, day. Definitely a film day, <laughs> that's for sure. I think tomorrow's a film day as well, by the way. No, the... I think it's dry tomorrow. So uh, get out and do, we're going to get out and do some exercise as a family. So. Bit, of, bit of lockdown exercise. Okay, well, look, have a good weekend. Have a lovely week and look forward to catching up to discuss the next two. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thank you very much, Rob. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.